Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, what's up, y'all? Alan Kenny, host of Blatant Homers and Podcast, part of Crimson and Cream Machine and the SB Nation Podcast Network. We're recording this episode on Thursday, June 6, 2019. One of the biggest points of discussion in the football world this offseason is the growing popularity of the dime defense as a base scheme. You know, I've written a little bit about the dime recently and why it's likely to become more commonplace at all levels of football, especially in the Big 12. And our guest today is Cody Alexander. He's currently the secondary coach at Midlothian High School in Texas, but he's also the brains behind the website MatchQuarters.com. Uh, Cody's one of the more insightful writers you'll find when it comes to discussing modern approaches to playing defense, you know, kind of in this era of the spread. He's already written two books on it, and in the addition to his uh, website, he produces some really helpful videos that delve uh, into the defensive schemes. We're going to talk with him today a bit about the dime, defending the spread offense, as well as uh, see if he can break down some of what OU fans should expect from uh, new defensive coordinator Alex Grinch. So let's go ahead and welcome him on. Cody, how are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for being here. All right. All right. Well, can you tell us, uh, you know, I, I know you're coaching on the high school level right now. Can you tell us a little bit of just about your background uh, in coaching? Yeah. So really my, I kind of got a lot of uh, accelerated my knowledge anyway. Um, I got an opportunity to be the defensive graduate assistant at Baylor when Art Bryles was there. So, and, and Phil Bennett, who, um, he was there, got the DC job, and I was able to kind of come in and learn from him for three years. So I was there in 2011, 12, and 13. So my last year was the the year that we uh, won the first Big 12 championship. And so kind of being defending that Art Brawl system every day and kind of what we did, uh, kind of that's where I kind of have my uh, viewpoints from. And then obviously – coming back to the high school level, seeing, living in a state that is very spread heavy, especially at the top levels of, of Texas high school football, kind of being able to modify it. And, and what I've learned over the years from other people and watching other, other places do what they do. Right. You know, uh, obviously Baylor got so much attention for uh, everything it was doing uh, on offense back during that era, but uh, Phil Bennett actually, you know, really kind of has had a pretty significant influence on how teams are trying to defend the spread now, no? Yeah, I think we did a few things that were uh, similar. You know, running a four-two-five from a 4-3 base, that's nothing that's real new. I mean, even Michigan State has shifted away from having a true Sam and Will linebacker to more of a star, uh, what they've normally called a star, which is their nickel, and they've kind of done it. So, And then even TCU – in a sense, even though they're four two five, they've gone away from really spoking the safeties that you normally see in a in a old school four two five four four, and more of a four three run fit with with a just a nickel guy and manipulating that so that he's never really in the box. 
Um, and then what he did really, and what, what we did at, at Baylor that kind of was ahead of its time was a lot of the, what a lot of people refer to as two gapping the line, even though it's not really a two gap, it's more of a gap exchange, but the line move full line movement gap exchange within a fourth four down is not something you normally see. That's something that you normally see in a three down and being able to translate that uh, into a four down and kind of what people consider stealing gaps and things like that. It's really just gap exchanges depending on what you're seeing from the offensive line. But those, those two fundamental things that a lot of people are doing now, we kind of did back in, in the early, you know, 10s, you know, 11, 12 and 13. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, you've written quite a bit on uh, just how much the dime seems to be, you know, kind of uh, spreading as this uh, antidote really to these to these modern offenses. But you know, for our listeners who aren't as uh, you know steeped in, in uh, kind of the terminology and everything, can, can you give us a high level kind of explanation of what teams are doing? You see with the dime, you know, what are some of kind of the staples of what this philosophy kind of entails? So it's really an odd stack. So most people would know what a three, three, five is. Um, that that's essentially what it, that the foundation is from is kind of this odd stack, but it's a broken stack, meaning that the three linebackers are not going to always stack the D lineman in a true stack. You adjust with the secondary and kind of the, in the, what a Lou, a Mike and a Rob, you're, you're, inside linebackers they don't ever really move from the box but the way that people have been doing this now is is they say okay we're going to have a five-man box we're going to have three d linemen and then we're going to have a true mike who's never going to leave the middle and then what what normally would be an inside linebacker in a three four they're going to actually kind of play him like a a will linebacker in a four three and then you're going to have a true nickel with two safeties and two corners so even though you've got five guys it's still five dbs and really kind of uh and and you inserted an extra guy to the boundary that's now and that's where you get the dime reference because you basically are playing with two nickels two inside linebackers two safeties uh and then two and two corners and so what you end up getting is what I call a joker safety in the middle. And he is kind of your your jack of all trades. They can do anything they want with him. They can move him around. And so what you get, and I think Haycock at Iowa State, he calls his defense a 3-3-3. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you have three down linemen, three linebackers, and then three safeties. But in reality, one of those linebackers is a nickel. And so what you're doing is you're playing with two nickels. One just happens to be able to go back. Uh, so that's kind of in the easiest possible way of explaining it, but still keeping that kind of high level, like what they're doing schematically, that's really what it is. It's a broken stack. Uh, and it's referred to as a dime because you're putting kind of a sixth uh, linebacker out there. I mean, a six DB out there at nickel instead of keeping three true linebackers. Right. So, I mean, this is a really kind of just personnel wise, looking at the kind of people you want filling out these different spots. I mean, this is really kind of a hybrid heavy look, right? Yeah, you're going to have, you know, you hear the terms positionless defense and things like that, and that's kind of essentially what you're you're going with. You've got five guys that are basically going to play in the interior, and then you've got six guys that are going to be playing 
uh, a multitude of different looks from from that. And yeah, sometimes your safeties are going to be the flat defenders instead of the corners, or you're going to drop a guy and, and move a guy down. You're going to blitz from death. So a lot of the it gives you an opportunity when you put six defensive backs on the field, uh, you can pretty much blitz everybody or insert anybody you want except for the field corner. So you you've taken it to where you can only blitz a couple guys to now you can blitz all or you can you can insert basically ten guys anywhere you want. Right. So looking then also, uh, I guess we should have covered maybe the the front for, at the start. But I mean, you know, this works out of a tight front, right? Normally that four I zero four I look. Well. I think there's a little bit of a misconception from the standpoint of Iowa State. I think they're usually the ones that everybody kind of talks about, and then Texas has kind of run this this six DB look, but they do it more from the tight front out of their their tight front base alignment. Whereas Iowa State really has really strict rules on their front. You can pretty much predict what their front's going to be uh depending on the on the look that you get and they're really never in the tight front unless it's empty. Now earlier on I think as they've evolved they've kind of get gotten more rigid in the way that they do things. Uh but the way Iowa State does it is really they if it's ten personnel they're they're basing out of which is one uh one running back and four receivers. They're gonna base out of what's called back. So you're they're gonna put a the four eye is actually going to be to the running back. You're going to have a zero nose, which is head up on the center, and then a five technique, mm-hmm. which is like your true D, true D end. Uh, and so you're going to get that front and 10 personnel. Anytime they shift to two back or with a tight end, you're going to get what's called, I call buck or a 505. So you're going to have two traditional D end looks outside of the tackle in what's called a five technique and a zero nose, and then every everybody else kind of adjusts accordingly. I think Texas is a little bit different uh, in the way that they do it because of their base is actually from the tight front, that they kind of stay in more of a tight front in that 404. Uh, it's actually, I consider it an even front, even though it is odd, because it never changes. Uh, you're not going to get uh, some odd fronts. They want to attach a guy to a tight end or they want to do this or they, you know, but it, it, or shade the nose here, shade the nose there. You've got two, four eyes and a zero. And so you're kind of, no matter what formation you get, it's always going to look the same in, in interior wise. Right. And so are they, I mean, is this more of kind of like a hybrid one gap, two gap, or are they mainly playing two gap on the, uh, on the front? So, a tight front forces you to be a one gap defense. Um, the nose, depending on what you're doing, can get game plan to where he fits. Most are going to do what's called a lag technique, and even Iowa State will do this from any time they have a zero nose. Uh, and a lag technique is just the nose is going to be head up on the center. He's going to actually engage the center. And so if the center wants to work, uh, like typical gun zone works away from the back. So if, if he works away from the back like he normally is, he's going to occupy the center so he can't just climb real fast to the inside linebacker. And then he's going to lag behind the center. And what that essentially does is it frees up the run, the inside linebacker to the running back side. He's a flow player. So he's going to do what some uh, Aranda calls it nest. He's going to work basically flow to see. So he's a free, it, it really frees up your guy. And you can now, that guy really has to watch the running back or the quarterback, depending on who, the, who they're trying to stop. But he's a flow backer. 
Uh, and it really cleans it up because it's pushing everything front side where you have uh, another inside linebacker in charge of the A gap and then uh, a contained rusher on the outside, which can come from, from anywhere. But in zone, the big thing people want is the cutback. They want that. They want to push to the A gap and then, especially in the inside zone and then your typical base zone, they want to push to the A gap and then cut it back, let everybody over, over pursue and cut back. Well, what the type run does, it says, hey, we're just going to take away the B gaps and we're going to take away uh, the cutback. So we're, you essentially have to push this out. You know, you have to push this front side to people that are basically just sitting there waiting to make a tackle. Right. So, I mean, the kind of objective here is to clog up the middle, really, and get everything kind of spilling outside, right? Right. So a typical spread offense, want it, it, I call it a B-gap principle. They want to attack the B-gap. Any kind of shotgun team that is, is a modern spread, they want to attack the B-gap. It's the path of least resistance. It's what's called a bubble because there's not an anchor point. There's not a D lineman in that gap. They can also manipulate and predetermine who they think is going to get uh, the football, depending on that, that edge rusher. And so by what they what the type run does is it essentially inserts themselves in the B gap and they, they muddy the read up to where you kind of have to read the overhang uh, and the quarterback doesn't basically, if the overhang sits, then he's just kind of, kind of, hand the ball off well if once you hand the ball off it's pretty predictable where that ball is going to go it's either going to go in the a gap or it's going to bounce outside which again you've done exactly what every defense in america wants to do and is make the run go east and west except for it's going front door instead of back door mm-hmm. and by overhang player just so people know you're, you're talking about the uh player kind of on the edge right uh, outside the tackle right that is your force player right outside the box it could be the nickel it could be a safety inserting down it could be uh it's usually the the linebacker or the safety depending on the coverage and alignment. But yes, your overhang is always the immediate player outside of the box that is not physically attached to the box. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com with over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day. Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. So, you know, I guess, you know, it seems like the uh, the advantages of this to me are pretty clear, right? You know, you get... Um, you know, more kind of coverage players out there to defend, uh, you know, what are considered, you know, pass heavy offenses. Um, what about though, like getting a pat, an actual pass rush and pressuring the quarterback? That's the one thing that is, if you talk to people that base in the tight front, you're basically giving up your pass rush on a non pressure down. Like if you're not bringing pressure or you're not bringing some sort of movement up front, you're pro it, it's really hard. Those, those four eyes have to attack the inside shoulder of the tackle, but most of them are reading the guard. So if the tackle kick steps and the guard blocks down, they know that they're going to crash down. Well, even though that tackle kick steps and he's giving you a pass read, how do you know it's technically a pass? Well, they, so it's those things where you really have to rep it and they have to be able to feel it. And then they have to work outside because now you don't have contain. 
Well, what some people have have done now is they're saying, hey, that's fine because we have a defender that's already a free player on the inside anyway, and they almost turned it into sprint out rules where you're kind of dictating where the edge rush is going to be. So you're kind of building a wall in one way, and you know that you're not going to get any kind of pass rush from the outside. So it's okay if the quarterback scrambles because, one, he's closing the field off. Most OCs are not going to tell the quarterback, hey, throw opposite your body across the field. Unless your name's John Elway, you're not doing that. So, so uh, you know, so, I mean, you, you don't even see that in the NFL. Like Aaron Rodgers is probably the only one that's strong enough to throw the ball completely across his body and opposite the field deep. So what you've done is essentially just be, once he scrambles, you kind of have an idea of what they're going to do. Are the routes going to go vertical? Are they going to come back to the quarterback? But you've closed off half the field. Now you've got a defender that is basically a free player who would have uh, contain, who would have, uh, if it was sprint out, have contain, if first contain anyway. So you just kind of allow him in what's called a green dog, uh, where he delays and then he rushes uh, once the quarterback comes out the pocket, or you have running back uh, who, who's, uh, basically steps up or vacates if he you know if he doesn't vacate then he rushes if he vacates then he takes it Uh, and so you you do that and it's what's called a delayed rush now nowadays most tight front teams are going to have what's called a delay rush and they're going to attack a guard from the inside or they're going to have the guy wrapped for contain just depending on game plan that week so you're getting a four-man rush but you're making it very predictable and you're pushing the quarterback out of the pocket instead of trying. It's kind of counterintuitive. Instead of keeping him in the pocket, you're going to go ahead and make him move, but knowing that you've got a free player that's going to come, come and get him. Right. Right. So, you know, one question I have is, you know, you can see how teams defenses can, can still fit the run, you know, just even though they're, you know, even if the box looks light, right? Like even if you're, you're saying right. four guys, right. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's still also kind of just a, a simple physics of this, you know, when it comes to if you're playing teams that uh, play more kind of power, um, you know, it, it, it still feels like if you're I mean, if you've got six, you know, essentially, uh, you know, defensive backs out there, you're getting pretty small. Now, you know, if you're a team like, a, you know, if you're playing a team like Alabama that, you know, will go with the, you know, even 12 personnel at times still, um, you know, I mean what do you do there? Is it, how hard is it to defend that? And do you just have to come up with a, a separate package or, you know, do you think that, that it still, you know, works, I, I guess, uh, you know, for stopping uh, the downhill run there? Well, I think like if you watch Iowa state, when they play Iowa, um, Iowa goes real big, they go 12, 13. And then they also have NFL caliber tight ends. And I think mm-hmm. that's the biggest difference. You watch the game in 2017, um, I wrote about it on, on match quarters of the 2017 uh, Liberty Bowl when Iowa State played Memphis. Memphis was getting killed in 10 personnel. That Well, that's what that defense is designed to stop. So what yeah. do they do? They go, okay, we're going to put two tight ends out there. Well, what kind of tight ends are they? I mean, I think, uh, you know, if they're just kind of glorified tackles, then you know, and, or they're just kind of finesse tight ends, which is what they basically had, then now – you're basically in you're just lined up two guys close to the box but those guys aren't great blockers so they're really just blocking guys on the perimeter and you basically have a receiver blocking a db um i think when oklahoma on the other hand runs their 12 personnel well they've got what's called a flex tight end or a joker tight end and uh, and i think his name is calcaterra Mm -hmm. you know where he can he can line up outside 
and he can play receiver, but he can also run in line. I think uh, I think it was Myers last year mm-hmm. um, that was your in line tight end, or he was the H back. So yeah. you're sitting here in twenty in twelve personnel, but they can get in multiple different looks. But those guys can block, and I think that's kind of the key to if you if you're going to go big, you got to be able to one if they can't match your size, like Iowa State. Uh, they're they're going to try and live in that stack as long as they possibly can. You know, Texas, on the other hand, well, they'll just sub in another D lineman and not live in, with the six DBs, and they'll package it according to what you've got. But I think with Iowa State in this package, if people sell out on it, is you've got to be able to find ways to get big. And so now you're talking about hybrid tight ends, which are now a premium at every level of football. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are the guys that you've got to be able to find guys that can line up and block at the same time. Because otherwise what you're going to get is you're going to have to change the way you do, you teach your, your offensive line and how they're progress in their box progressions, because typical box progressions, you look at Iowa state, man, you're looking at a four, like, like a four man box sometimes. Mm-hmm. So you're like, well, this looks like run. You run the ball, and then the next thing you know, there's there's nine guys around the box. You're like, how how did this happen? I mean, sometimes you even watch their corners are running trap two, which means those corners are cutting to the number two receiver, and those corners are there on the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I mean, they're cutting all the way in from outside just because they're running kind of that Tampa two scheme, and you're just seeing these guys just fly in on run. So it really changed. It it's unorthodox in the sense that guys are coming from different places. Uh, and so you have to reteach and kind of rethink the entire way of of thinking of how you are going to block what is who is in the box who is not in the box. Right, right. Well, um, let's you know talk a little bit about uh, Alex Grinch. You know, I know that you've uh, written some uh, on uh, on his defensive schemes. You know, back when he was at Washington State. Uh, generally speaking, I mean, what are your impressions? What you know. Uh, if you had to kind of, you know, lay out the kind of like foundational principles of his defense, what would they be? It's very much in line with what you're saying. Uh, what's kind of the transformation in the SEC. I think it it goes in very much in line with uh, what Texas is trying to do with the tight front, uh, which what in uh saving terms is called mint. And all it is, is it's a, it's your regular tight front 404 with uh kind of uh, depending on what the rule is, but they're going to usually away from the passing strength have what a typical 3-4 hybrid D end. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically, in the NFL, your edge rusher. He's going to be a contained player. He's going to have very, very limited coverage. Um, he's mostly there to be your four-down insert guy, or he drops down to the flat. He's matched up with a tight end instead of a, a receiver, uh, and he's kind of your bigger body. Um, I think that's what you look at what uh, Grinch did it at Washington, Washington State, and that's kind of what he was getting to was kind of that that mint front look of we're going to have two four eyes, a zero nose, and we're going to have a hybrid D end uh, edge rusher or what guys in the NFL call an edge player uh, away from the passing strength. You're going to play with a nickel to the field, and then you're going to have your typical Mike and, and Will linebacker which most people now call, you know, what in the NFL they call it a money backer, which is kind of the old school Sam, which was kind of your most athletic guy. Now he's moved to your will and because you're playing with a nickel who's a biscuit away, you know, he's a biscuit yeah. over being being your boundary safety or your old school rovers. Right. You know, now you're moving that guy over 
Uh, you talk about like a guy that missed it, missed his mark by a decade, like Roy Williams. The old, you know, I mean yeah. that guy. Imagine if he was playing today. I mean, he'd be he'd be keys your ears your the epitome of what a money backer would be. Uh, right. To be able to get in coverage, can play in the box, but doesn't have to be doesn't have to play nickel. I mean, so and I think that's you go when you look at what he's doing. Uh, Front wise and fit wise, it much aligns with what a lot of the top guys in the country are doing. Yeah, and it, but it seems like one hallmark of it is, I mean, a lot of kind of slants, a lot of stunts, looping around guys, yeah, right? Yes. Yeah. So that is that's a di- another part um, that he is that, and I did not mention that at the beginning, but yes, he's a big stunt uh, move, the stem, the front guy. You're you're going to get in an uh, an overlook, which is a five, a three, a shade, and a, and another five. But then the next thing you know, they're going to shift to the tight front, or they're in the tight front, and they're shifting to over or under, depending on what his strength rules are. Uh, and so you're getting your three down look, you're getting your four down look. And for a lot of offenses, they're not necessarily going to know what the front is going to be at the very beginning. But if you just go and look at what it basically what he's doing, um, that's kind of the base rule uh, is th- that mint look mm-hmm. that, you know, Aranda's doing it at LSU, Orlando's doing it at Texas, Kirby Smart and Alabama are, are at uh, Kirby Smart at Georgia. And then obviously saving at Alabama are kind of, that's kind of the way if you go look at the top guys, what are they doing? That's kind of what they're doing. Right. And by stemming, you're talking about, uh, you know, when they come out in the base look, but then right before the snap right. might shift over to a gap or something like that. Right. Yes. So usually what they have, you have what's called a quarterback indicator. All offenses are different. Some guys, they, you know, a lot of guys in the NFL, they pick the foot up or, uh, you know, you have a guy drop down. He, he puts the hand down yeah. to the ground or you now, nowadays you're getting the clap. Yeah. Uh, so right when he's about to clap, you're getting a move call, and those guys move, trying to move at the very last second you possibly can. Right, right. Okay, okay. So, uh, you know, one of the uh, kind of seems like one of the maybe kind of flaws or, or weak points, though, in, in what uh, that front does is it can, you know, leave us susceptible, I think, at times to, uh, you know, kind of big plays against the run if you don't have your safety filling, you know, for example. I mean, you know, because, you know, you got to, I mean, it's a very much a gap integrity type defense, no? Yeah, it is. You, you know, you're trying to make one inside linebacker a free player, and then you're mm-hmm. trying to bring back, like, the old-school Mike Plugger guy, you know, like Iowa State's got a guy yeah. that, you know, in any other defense, he's probably he's probably not playing. Yeah. Um, he, he's got one gap. The other guy's kind of more of a hybrid guy. He can play out of the box. He can play in the box. But what a lot of people are doing now is they're pushing that, they're pushing that backer out when it's trips, they're, you know, or they're, mm-hmm. they're kind of – more two high versus trips and then kind of more single high um or i mean i mean to say they're, they're kind of saying playing more single high versus trips and then more two high versus two by two just because of where they're leveraging the back mm-hmm. uh and, and the coverage you know i even though it is too high they're bringing that safety down into the box when it kind of turns into kind of a single high ish uh, mm-hmm. coverage even though they are running quarters but what they're trying to do is put and have no conflict on three and so you see that that boundary safety is going to be a critical spot much like that nickel spot is going to be a, a critical spot those two those kind of guys have to be kind of your two best uh, players and then obviously your boundary corner and it doesn't matter 
any area of football, your boundary corner has to be your best corner because he's the one that's usually manned up or the mm-hmm. offense can manipulate man matchups. Right, right. Okay, okay, excellent. Well, well, you know, Cody, I've taken plenty of your time here. Um, tell me a little bit just about what you're, you're up to in the summer. I mean, are you going around to uh, clinics and stuff like that? No, I, you know, we've got summer workouts, so I'm usually, you know, I try and go there a couple times a week, uh, and then I basically, you know, I've got uh, two two young boys, six <laughs> and uh, one and a half, and so they, they keep me pretty busy, and yeah. I like to try and be around them as much as I can in the summer. Um, I do a lot of reading and a lot of film watching during the summer, because uh, I know once fall hits, uh, you know, I'm pretty much locked into the season until December, so I'm I'm trying to you know, get as much at learning as I possibly can uh, until until August hits. So that way I've got everything ready to go and, and we hit the ground running. Well, I'll, I mean, I'll tell you what, man, uh, matchquarters.com is such a uh, fantastic resource for uh, anybody who just wants to learn a little bit more about, about schemes. You know, it, it's actually written at a pretty – uh, digestible level, I think, for fans kind of of all, you know, kind of uh, levels of understanding. And, you know, your book's also same thing. So uh, really do appreciate you coming on, man, and all the work that you do to help fans uh, understand football a little bit more. Yeah, I appreciate it. You know, the one thing I try and do is I try, I try and write it to where, um, you know, basically like my high school players that I coach, could, could they understand it? Or could somebody that kind of feels like they know football – they understand it and you know i the two books cautious aggression the first book i wrote is kind of like my mantra of kind of what this is these are the foundational principles of what i think defense should be and what it's probably looking like in the future according to defending our brows and then the latest book hybrids that i just wrote and you can find both of them on amazon uh kind of delves into how did we get here and where are we kind of going with this hybridization of schemes and these new new players that, you know, a decade ago were aligned in different spots, but now they're accepted or now they're, they're able to play in the box or they're able to play in secondary. So that's kind of where I've gone. And it, it's just fun for me. It helps me learn and it helps me grow. And, and I'm just glad people, people like them. So anyway, Cody, I really do appreciate your time, man. Thanks so much for coming on and joining us today. Yeah, no problem. Had a blast. All right. Thanks again to uh, Cody Alexander. The site is matchquarters.com. The books are Cautious Aggression and Hybrids. Make sure to check them out and uh, you know follow everything that he's doing there. Like I said, it's a great resource. And thanks to you all for joining us too. For the Blaine Homers and Podcast, I'm Alan Kenny. Take it easy. <laughs>